everybody, I'm Jen, bookstore owner. And I'm Lane, bookstore buyer. Here at Bard's Alley Bookshop in Vienna, Virginia. And you were tuned in to We Speak Volumes, a Bard's Alley Bookshop podcast. This is where we talk about the classics. Some we've read before, some we're reading for the first time, what makes them timeless, and what we really think about them. We discuss books for all ages and across genres. During each episode, share our own stories as they relate to these classics. So what do you say, Lane? Should we book it? Yeah, let's book it. Hello, listeners. This is Jen at Bard's Alley Bookshop, and I am joined by none other than Lane. And we are back. We are back. Yeah. We are ready. Yeah. We have some news to share a little bit before we get into our podcast proper. The reason that we've been missing for like a month, at least, at least, is we went through a major project at the store and we remodeled. Yay! And we have really loved it. And the big reveal, we now have a dedicated kids section. Yep. It's lovely. And we have gotten nothing but great feedback about it. So... Please come and see us. Come join us. Yay! Yes, definitely come. If you can't actually make it to the store, you can always check out our Instagram. Go to our Instagram page because Mallory did a great job of posting before, during, and after photos. Yay! Right? Quite the beauty makeover. Just needs the montage music. Hey, man. It's the eye of the tiger. (laughs) Yeah, it was fun. It was fun doing it. It was hard but definitely worth it. So we had a few attempts to try to record this podcast, but we wanted to give you our best. We did. Our absolute best. And the book we're talking about today is none other than The Three Musketeers, which is huge. So that's part B of why it took so long to actually get this recorded. And a full confession, I have not completely finished this yet, but I'm there. I know. You're going to so get there. Close. You're going to get there. I will. The best part about it to me is that I am loving this book so much. It's not for lack of wanting or trying. It's just been busyness. I know. And when we first decided to do this, I know you were so excited because it's one of those where because it's 800 plus pages, that's a commitment. It is. <laughs> Folks, again, that's what I love about doing this podcast with you because we're like, okay, This is something I've always wanted to read, a classic, and we're going to do it together. Yep. And we encourage each other because we talk about it along the way. I read maybe 20 pages, and then I had to go to the audiobook because I knew that if I just read, I would never get through it. And I loved the audiobook. It was great. Oh, good. It really was. That's good. It was fantastic. And I'm in the car enough here and there. I could just listen to it, snippet here and snippet there. But Alexander Dumas... Three Musketeers. That's what we're going to talk about today. Yes, yes, yes. All right. So lead us off, Jen, because I think you're going to talk the plot points. Thank God Jen's talking about the plot points because we'd be here for hours. All right. I'm going to... Okay. It was up to me. Let's just put the novel in context. It is an adventure story. It is an adventure story that has elements of romance and humor and history. Yes. Okay. We are 17th century France and... If Wikipedia can summarize this novel in five paragraphs. What? Uh Uh-huh. Yes, it did. (laughs) My gosh. Wow. Wow. The plot summary is five paragraphs. I think I can do a little speed run through it as well. Go for it. 
And I know, Lane, you're going to agree with this. Even though we're going to go through some of the descriptors, if you don't read this, you're going to miss out. Oh, my gosh. On so much. Yeah, you really, really will. The one-liners. Oh, my God, they're hilarious. And and just the scenes that he sets up, they are amazing. So we begin with our non-musketeer, D'Artagnan. Okay. The would-be musketeer. The would-be musketeer. His father was a musketeer. So he is going to send his son off to become a musketeer. Okay. So he gives him a letter of recommendation. He goes, sets him off on his scraggly old horse. (laughs) Saddled horse. Imagine the scene, though. The whole village is surrounded around him, and they're like, goodbye, good luck. It's a very funny visual. Just the description of the horse is hilarious. It really is. The horse comes and goes pretty quickly in the story, but it remains memorable. The first place he gets to, he's a weary traveler, right? He sees a group of people laughing. He assumes, rightfully so, they're laughing at him. Well, here, they're actually making fun of his horse. (laughs) And he immediately challenges them to a duel. I mean, the guy has, like you said, he has a very hot temper. But this whole scene, it turns into some little, like, spy stuff going on. And you meet certain characters. D'Artagnan ends up getting knocked out. And the foe flees. So he's like, okay, well, I'm going to get you kind of thing. And his letter of recommendation is stolen. That's right. The letter his dad wrote is stolen. Which is significant. Yeah, it is. Because that's the only thing he has to prove who he is, right? Anyway, so he gets back on his horse. (laughs) That sad horse. (laughs) And he makes his way to Paris. But again, within the one day he's there, not only does he meet one musketeer, he meets all three of the three. And ends up challenging each one of them to a duel. Well, technically, they challenge him because oh. Oh. because he's chasing after the man from Mung, right? Yes. The guy who stole his letter. Mm-hmm. And he literally runs into Athos. Yes, he's injured, by the way. He was shot or stabbed through the shoulders. That's so he's right. He's mm-hmm. been suffering greatly. And he runs into Athos. Athos is like, what? Hey, what? And so D'Artagnan says, well, I'm sorry, but I got to go. And, <laughs> Athos, he does. and Athos basically <laughs> says, that is no way to apologize. You're a little cad. So That's right. So I will see you at noon. And then he goes off again. And then he, something happens with Porthos. Oh, Porthos's cape, he gets caught oh, up. He does. He's still yes. running and he gets caught up in Porthos's like tunic. I don't know if he tears it or what, but Porthos, who, by the way, we don't quite know this yet, but Porthos is quite... The fashion maven. And he very much prides himself on his looks mm-hmm. and abilities. And is very distressed that D'Artagnan has gotten on his tunic. <laughs> literally in his yes, tunic. Literally. <laughs> and so he says, you young man, I challenge you. Meet me at one o'clock behind the blah, blah, blah. Yes, yes. <laughs> Which is where he's supposed to be dueling with Athos. Then there's this situation with Aramis, who is, he's the pious one, right? Wink, wink. And there's a lady's handkerchief that's under His, Aramis's yeah. feet. Yes. And D'Artagnan says, oh, this must be yours. He's thinking and- he's going to get in the guy's favor. Yeah. But then the guy's like, it's not, not mine. <laughs> <laughs> and D'Artagnan's like, oh, I'm sorry. And so once again, gets challenged to a duel at two o'clock. At two o'clock. So ding dong. So here he is. But he is so righteous and nobody's going to keep him down. Absolutely. So he offends all three musketeers within a few hours. And it is illegal to duel. Yes, technically. In, yes. in, in France. And you can get arrested. These musketeers do a lot of yeah. it. 
yeah. particularly with the Cardinals. So that's an important thing to talk about, that the Musketeers are part of the King's Guard. Yes. But the Cardinal holds, I'd say, equal power to the King. Probably more or so more because so. he kind yeah. of has a lot of influence mm-hmm. over the King. And he has his own guard. Yes. Right? So then he shows up for the very first duel mm. with Athos. And who comes over the hill but Porthos and Aramis? Yep, his best buds. And they're like, wait, I was supposed to duel, but now I'm supposed to duel him. And it's just this thing. So as they're, it's comical. Here come some of the Cardinals' guards. They're like, are you supposed to be dueling? And that's illegal. And they fight. And they're outnumbered four to five. They prove themselves. There's all kinds of dueling and fencing because that is their weapon of choice. Washbuckling. That's right. D'Artagnan joins right in with them. And, yeah, and it's, it's a great it, moment. It really is. Because I think Athos, maybe he says, it's three against five. Yeah. And then D'Artagnan is like, no, it's four against five. <laughs> <laughs> so that's really the opening bit and how he meets these musketeers. And then eventually... And becomes friends with them. And becomes friends with them. And then eventually they do go back to the stronghold where they all live and he meets, yeah, Monsieur Treby. And they're talking and he's gaining Trevi's trust a little bit. There's still some speculation whether or not he might be the Cardinal's man. Mm-hmm. And then the musketeers, the three musketeers come in because Trevi sent for them. They all have this conversation, Trevi and the three musketeers, and D'Artagnan's still there, like not saying a word, just standing there in the office. And then like everybody leaves and he's still there. <laughs> and isn't this when one of them comes in, like they had gotten drunk or something and they were... They had a duel the night before. Had a duel and of- that's where Athos had been oh, okay. injured and Athos is like all ashen and I think he might even faint during that scene like he's about ready to pass out and they're like get you back to bed so this opening sequence is very cheeky it's just got a lot of physical humor mm-hmm. as well as action yeah. and it yeah. just pulls you right in it really does and then you kind of move from that to the history part like more of the politics and mm-hmm. history so then we meet Queen Anne of Austria who is the Queen of France. Yes. And she is having a love affair with the Duke of Buckingham, who is English. Yes. So he is effectively to England what Richelieu is to France at this time, where he's a great influence over the king and country. He's got power. And Richelieu is the cardinal. Richelieu is the cardinal. You know what I was thinking? They sound a lot like cheeses. Well, it's because <laughs> Richelieu's hound is a rope fort, basically. I know. I kept thinking, there's all these French names sound like cheeses. <laughs> all right, there we go. So the Cardinal Cheese, no, Cardinal Richelieu, he wants to go to war with England, right? And so he has a spy. Oh, is it time to talk about oh. Milady? Let's introduce Milady. She is... Quite the spy. She's really good at ensnaring men and pulling them into her web of lies, deceit, and seduction. And she pretends like she's French, but she pretends she's English, right? Yeah. Well, she married in English. She's got that going for her. Nah. <laughs> but she she becomes an integral part of this story, particularly in the second half of things. She's the cardinal's pawn. Yes. And he's trying to expose Queen Anne. Because Queen Anne remembered him. He was in love with Queen Anne. and Yeah, and so he wants to expose her love of this duke. His rival. His rival. Basically right. for her affections. Mm-hmm. She's already lost, but whatever. Dudes. There's definitely 
the elements of romance in his novel. It's a little warped, but it's there. <laughs> a little warped indeed. It's interesting how people sort of fall in love in this. It's very fast. It's yeah. like it's quite like, instantaneous. Yeah, it's like, I love them, but they don't love me. I used to love them, but now I don't love them anymore. <laughs> anyway, go ahead. Yeah. Yes. So that's the lady to start with. Mm-hmm. It only gets worse. Yes, she gets worse. So then going back on the love theme here, there's another important female character that we need to talk about, and it's Constance. Yes. And Constance is married to, he's referred to as the Mercer. The Mercer, that's right. I don't know exactly what that is. He's a character who comes semi-important because he's the reason that they have their first sort of big mission. And that's because his wife, Constance, gets kidnapped. And he comes to D'Artagnan saying, can you please help me find my wife? That's right. right. Yes. And, and that's when D'Artagnan sees her and he's like, love at first sight. Yep, he does find her. And, and yeah, yeah, it is love at first sight. It's like he yes. stalks her a little. Because it follows her sort of surreptitiously yeah. at one point, And he's just like, oh. I know. But he does win her over, her affections, because she's young and her husband is not. And also it turns out her husband's kind of a bit of a jerk. He is. He's a bad, bad man. He turns on her. Yeah, he does. So I have to admit, when listening to the audiobook, it's at this point that I tuned out. The, the <laughs> middle part of the book goes into a lot of history, and it was hard for me to follow and stick with it. Yeah. But I know it's important. I don't know if you have any thoughts about that. So plot-wise, none of this was ever boring to me. At the Siege of La Rochelle, there was a lot of facts and names that just didn't resonate in my contemporary brain because I don't know part of France's history necessarily. So that I sort of skimmed through, but that was really only like a page and a half. (laughs) Okay, yeah, (laughs) much to me. But this is the point at which Constance and D'Artagnan fall in love. Constance, it's important to know, is a lady-in-waiting or her linen girl of Queen Anne. So what becomes a very interesting plot point is that Anne, in the first meeting we have with her, and Buckingham is basically convincing her that she loves him, Mm -hmm. which she does, Mm -hmm. but she doesn't want to say it out loud. Mm -hmm. It could be harmful to them both. But she does give him a token, and she gives him this strand of diamonds, basically. Yes. That was a present from her husband, the king. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Buckingham is overcome by her love <laughs> of him and takes these beautiful diamonds home, back to England. The cardinal gets wind of the fact that Anne does not have those diamonds anymore. He encourages the king to have a masquerade ball, and he makes the king tell his wife that she needs to wear those diamonds. And so, who goes to get those diamonds for her? None other than our favorite little boy, D'Artagnan! It is good to note that D'Artagnan is about 18 years old, maybe 19. He's young. Yeah, he's very young. But he's very skilled. He's incredibly courageous, and he will pretty much do... Anything for a woman who needs his help. Yeah, he Um, is a dashing hero. He really is. So he gets permission and advice from Travi, who says, you can't go by yourself because the cardinal will be on the lookout for you. So take the three musketeers with you. And she's not talking about the candy bar. (laughs) (sighs) So the three musketeers (laughs) are off. Yeah, and it's great because I think, can't remember who gets picked off first. Is it Aramis and then Porthos and then Athos and... Finally, D'Artagnan does make it to his boat. He has to kill the Comte de Ward, who comes into play later in the story, and sets sail for England, meets up with the Duke of Buckingham, despite the language barrier, 
which is very interesting. Like, that was definitely handled mm-hmm. by Dumas. And Buckingham returns the diamonds, of which I think are two missing or there something There were two like missing, that. yeah. Because Didn't they put them in a ring or something like they that? They were stolen by Milady. She got to Buckingham first, and she brought him back. What Buckingham does is he gets the best jeweler that he knows, sets him up in a room in the castle, and forces him to make (laughs) two new diamonds to make the whole set. So he does that. He gives them all to D'Artagnan with grateful thanks, and D'Artagnan sets sail for home. And what's happening at that moment is just as he takes off, there's not quite a full-on declaration of war between France and England, but there are troops sort of mobilizing that is indicating that this war is coming. So the ports get closed, like right after D'Artagnan mm, takes mm-hmm. off the ports of England to brace themselves for war. Anyway, he gets the diamonds to the queen just in the nick of time. <laughs> and in return, he gets this ring from her as a thank you. That's where the ring comes in. And Cardinal's all foiled and he's pissed. And D'Artagnan now is on his radar as someone to thwart. And then at some point, D'Artagnan snuck his way into Milady's bedroom. Didn't this he? Is later in the This is later? Much later in the book, yes. Okay. Because first what has to happen is Constance, once again, gets kidnapped. This time by the Cardinal's men. Yeah. By Roquefort, who's the hound, and her husband. Like, when you say hound, we're not talking about a dog here. He's like he the... He is sort of like the pit he's bull He's like a thug. The, yeah. He's a henchman. Yeah. But he's the dirty one. Like, he's, yeah. he'll do all the dirty work, which is why he's there. I just thought listeners might think he's an actual hound. Oh, come on. Our listeners are smarter than that. <laughs> Or for any of you who aren't. <laughs> I'm sorry. I thought she meant a hound. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I was like, I don't remember a dog he wrote for. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness, I'm sorry. No, this is yeah. the part that I just kind of, I think, glazed over yeah. a bit. So she gets kidnapped again. And D'Artagnan finds out about this because he was supposed to meet her. And then this part is where he goes back to meet up with all of his fallen comrades, the musketeers. First, he finds... Athos, who's <laughs> drunk in a cellar, <laughs> he's held up there. Then he goes to find Porthos, who's lost all his money gambling and refuses to leave the hotel. Mm. And then he finds Aramis, who's studying very diligently to join the priesthood. And it's yeah. adorable how he gets I them know. all out of that. And I part know. of it is because he stole Constance's husband's reward from the cardinal. The pistoles? The pistoles! Yes! I can use that word. Pistole! The pistoles. Say it with us, everybody. It's a fun word to say. Pistoles. And I found out, because I had to Google this, they also talk about livre, which is the other form of currency. So he eventually sells that ring that the queen gave him for like 7,000 livre. Okay. And I was like, what's the difference between a livre and a pistole? And it turns out that one pistole is worth 10 livre. Oh, well, Whoa. then you want the pistoles. Yeah, man. Okay. You totally want okay. that. This is the big bucks. <laughs> Got it. All right. That's good because Constance kind of steps in it a lot here. Unfortunately, she yeah. just gets caught up in it. The, the next thing that I remember, and we're really not trying to go too deep into the plot, but I know there was a lot of fighting and somebody used like poison wine. And then there's the Siege of La Rochelle. Okay. And then there's there's like a nunnery place. Yes. Constance gets kidnapped by the cardinal, but then the queen 
who's sort of her own benefactor, somehow gets her moved to a convent. And the cardinal doesn't know which convent yet. Then there's this whole war is happening between France and England. And the first battle is at La Rochelle. Mm -hmm. So the important part is that you started to talk about D'Artagnan and Milady. He really does her dirty, I have to say. I'm sorry. It's D'Artagnan is not very chivalry. Chivalry. Chivalrous. Chivalrous. Chivalrous towards her. Chival. No, he's not. And in fooling her, he sees the fleur-de-lis, which is tattooed or something. It's branded. Oh, branded on her Mm -hmm. shoulder. And that is a sign of... Murderous. Bad lady. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's also a sign that she is probably Athos's wife. Yes. That he thought he had hanged. Oh, yeah. Because he discovered that she had that brand on her shoulder. And it's also why Athos is so broody. Dreamy, broody Athos. Yeah, he got wronged by a woman. Uh-huh. So that all happens. The, let's not get too much into the war stuff. But Milady does try to take revenge yeah. yes. while they're there. Mm-hmm. And she does send poisoned wine. She sends two guys to kill D'Artagnan to ambush him mm-hmm. and, and kill him. And then she gets sent by the cardinal back to England to kill Buckingham. And she fakes everybody out, somehow gets through all the closed borders and everything. And she somehow, though, gets found out. At some point, she goes to the same place where Constance is. Okay. So I don't know if you've gotten to that part yet. I did not get to that. I did skip a little bit because I knew we were going to talk about this Mm. and try to get some of this right. So there's that great scene at La Rochelle where the four D'Artagnan... Who, by the way, at that point does become a musketeer. Yeah, he's granted. Yeah, they that. never call themselves the four musketeers. Nope, not ever. But there's this great thing where they overheard the cardinal sending Milady on this mission to kill the duke. And they don't know who to trust amongst all the different troops that are there because there's like the Swiss and the Huguenots. So they make a bet with one of the other officers, right? That they're going to go and have breakfast on the battlement like this. Oh. So they're going to be up there for like an hour or so. And the idea is that the Rochelais are going to fire on them and try to take them down. And they're like, bring it on. But it's really for them so they can go and talk out what's been happening and what their plan is, how they're going to thwart the cardinals and Milady. But when Milady gets to the Duke's castle she gets captured yes so he puts her in a cell he's like you are a traitorous and horrible woman i know your game all right the jig is up he puts her in there and it's dark all the time it's weird well i think a lot of that comes out of a story that milady tells this young puritan priest Oh. The one she's trying to swindle? Yeah. I think that story of it being dark and her being... What's his name? Denied Felton. Felton. Yes. Poor, sad. Felton. Innocent, gullible Felton. That story is what convinces him that Buckingham deserves to die, basically. Because he's treating her horribly and mistreating her. He doesn't understand that she's this beautiful, young, innocent lady. <laughs> and he's he's just doing all these awful things. And she claims that he's the one who branded her. Yeah. She makes up this whole thing about that because if he had branded her with the mark of England, then he would have had to have explained himself. And that would have just been scandalous that there was no trial, et cetera, et cetera, that he just locked her away. And Felton, he falls for it all. Of course he does. He totally falls for it. And She's really good. Yeah, and I know. That's self-preservation more so, than anything. So she escapes with the help of Felton. But he doesn't accompany her because 
He's off to Buckingham. Yeah. He's like, you go. I got to kill Buckingham because well, of everything he did to you. Actually, what he does do is he's delivering a letter from De Winter, who's her captor, which basically says she needs to die. You just need to sign this letter of execution. That's that right. you are okay with this. And Felton says to him, no, you can't <laughs> sign that piece of paper. You have to sign a letter saying she's <gasps> innocent. She deserves to be let go. A pardon. Yes. And Buckingham knows who she is, knows what she's about, and basically says, no, I'm not going to do that. He goes to get his sword. Felton pulls out this knife, and then they get interrupted by Buckingham's man, Patrick, who says, there's a letter for you from France. And Buckingham (laughs) says, what, France? And that's when... Felton basically shivs him in the side, oh, all the way to the hilt. Bad timing, Patrick. I know. <laughs> <laughs> you foolish, foolish man. And it's a letter from his dearly beloved Anne it's saying, right. I'm worried for you. I've heard talk that your life is in danger. I don't want you to get hurt. Let's cease the war. And then her person, Buckingham's really disappointed by this letter. It's dying. Oh, he's dying I'm, I'm, while this letter's being read to him. And he's like, please, what else? Did you say anything else? And she said, <laughs> she's really worried about you. It's like, that's it? There's nothing else? <laughs> and, and then her man says, well, she loves you. She always loved you. He's ad-libbing there, right? Yeah, like, I think oh. she did probably say to him in confidence that she's always loved the yeah. Duke. Yeah. And so that's the last thing he hears before his final breath is that <gasps> she loves me. Yay! Yay. I'm a happy man now. So, and he does. Felton probably gets Taken away. Taken away. Yeah, yeah. He, tries, like, he tries to run away, and he runs into the room where all the guards are. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> and then he encounters De Winter, who's coming up the stairs, because he caught wind of the assassination attempt. That's right. To move them, and he's like, oh, I'm taking you to prison, mister. I oh can't my believe God. I'm too late to save my friend Buckingham. I know. That's when Milady is running off and comes to whatever town it is, and again, changes who she is oh, to accommodate so the situation and gets led into this abbey, right? Mm-hmm. Which is where Constance is the same hour. Constance. Constance is supposed to be safe and becomes the confidant of Constance, but through something Constance says, realizes who she is. And, and she's the love of D'Artagnan's life. Yep. And then she's like, oh, then I can take care of this one. And she poisons her. Two birds, one stone, I think, in her mind exactly. because she kills Constance and that's going to destroy D'Artagnan, which has been her mission since he falsely slept with her. Correct. He slept with her under false pretenses. Let's right. That way, because that's accurate, because he came to her in the dark. We didn't really talk about why he did her dirty, but he's so young. (laughs) (laughs) But he sort of is enthralled by her beauty, Mm -hmm. her Mm -hmm. manner, and comes to love her in his own mind. Like he's in love with her a little bit, but he's really just enthralled by her because he hasn't gotten out of Dodge, man. But then Milady, she leaves the Abbey, but again, they find her, the Three Musketeers and D'Artagnan, and they're like, Yeah, you did all of us wrong in one way or another and we are gonna put you on trial right here right now and there's an executioner who's with their party somehow and they do they see it as completely fair you know or here we go She's murdered so many people. I know. Like, she's there's at least a half a dozen people in yeah. the book alone that she's murdered, that yeah. we all know she's murdered because it's happened in the story. Right. Not to mention the potential of all the other innocents that yeah. she's taken along the way, either at Completely. the Cardinal's behest yeah. or her own, like, yeah. dubious nature. So they hang her. So now, they've got the letter, though, now, right? Yes, that's from the Cardinal's. That basically says, yes, D- D'Artagnan does 
have that, I think, yeah. courtesy of Athos, in fact. So he confronts Milady at one point and makes her give that, that letter up. So we're basically at the end. This is the climax, the end of the story. And I'm just going to say, they get in front of the Cardinal. Yeah. And the Cardinal's kind of like, all right, you win. And I think there's a little bit of admiration in there, too, because they've just proven themselves to be superior in so many ways. Exactly. Basically, the Cardinal, he is going to give a commission of a lieutenancy in the Musketeers. But it's blank. Oh. Okay. Okay. He gives it to D'Artagnan. And D'Artagnan says, I don't want it. And he offers it to the other musketeers. And I think it's important to read what each of them says. Because it really tells you their personalities, right? Yep. D'Artagnan says, Here, my dear Athos, this naturally belongs to you. Athos smiled, one of his sweet, charming smiles. My friend, said he, this is too much for Athos and too little for the Comte de la Fere. Keep this commission, it's yours. Alas, my God, you paid a high price for it. D'Artagnan left Athos's rooms and went to see Porthos. He found him wearing a magnificent coat. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) Covered with splendid embroidery and looking at himself in a mirror. (laughs) Ah, it's you, dear friend, claimed Porthos. How do you think this suits me? Marvelously, said D'Artagnan. But I've come to offer you an outfit that will suit you even better. What? asked Porthos. That of a lieutenant in the musketeers. D'Artagnan told Porthos about his interview with the cardinal and, taking the commission from his pocket, said, Here, my dear friend, write your name on it and be a good leader for me. Porthos glanced at the commission and to the young man's great astonishment handed it back to him. Yes, he said, that would be very flattering. But I wouldn't have long enough to enjoy the favor. During our Bethune expedition, my duchess's husband died, and so, my dear friend, with the deceased strongbox holding out its arms to me, I'm marrying the widow. You see, I'm trying on my wedding attire. Keep the lieutenancy, my dear friend, keep it. And then he returned the commission to D'Artagnan. The young man then went to Aramis's lodgings. He found him kneeling in front of a prayer stool, his forehead resting on his open book of hours. He told him about his interview with the cardinal, and taking the commission from his pocket for the third time, he said, You, our friend, our light, our invisible protector, accept this commission. You have deserved it more than anyone by your wisdom and your counsels, which have always been attended by such fortunate outcomes. Alas, my dear friend, said Artemis, our latest adventures have made me thoroughly sick of a soldier's life. This time my decision is irrevocable. After the siege, I shall enter the Lazarists. Keep the commission, D'Artagnan. The profession of arms suits you. You will be a brave and adventurous captain. D'Artagnan, his eyes moist with gratitude and shining with joy, went back to Athos, where he found him still sitting at his table, studying his last glass of Malaga against the light of the lamp. Well, he said, they have refused me too. That's because no one, my dear friend, is more worthy of it than you. He took a pen, wrote D'Artagnan's name on the commission, and gave it back to him. I won't have any more friends, said the young man. Alas, nothing but bitter memories. And then he let his head drop into his hands while two tears rolled down his cheeks. You're young, replied Athos, and there's still time for your bitter memories to turn to sweet ones. 
That is the best <laughs> ending ever. It's so perfect. It is great. So they all refuse it, and that is the end of our story. Now, it's pretty early on in the book where we get the catchphrase. What do you think of the Three Musketeers? What do you right? think of? All for one and, and one, one for all. <laughs> and that's in chapter nine. And we looked, and that's their motto. They're like, that's our motto after all, right? Yeah. But it's the only time yes. they all say it. Yeah, once. It's only in there once. So now I want to go back to some more of the factual things and like the fun facts. Okay. Fun facts. So yeah, fun Yay. facts. Really did thoroughly enjoy reading this. But Lane does her research, man. And I don't know if everybody knows. I didn't. This is based on real life people. It sure is. So it's pretty interesting. And I'm a little embarrassed. But in the introduction written by Dumas to his own novel, he says that he came across the memoirs of D'Artagnan, basically, and comped that and, and <laughs> decided to write his own novel based on all of that. And they did discover that, yes, in fact, Athos, Porthos, and Aramis, those are pseudonyms yeah. for other real-life people who were musketeers. I think they all became musketeers like a little bit after the actual events of the book. It was in a different, it was in the reign of Louis the Fourteenth as opposed to Louis the Thirteenth right. and Richelieu. But it's neat. It's, it's like very there cool. There was an actual, you know, King's yeah. Guard of the Musketeers. Yeah. And you're right. Dumas did write a prologue and an epilogue to the book. So that was kind of neat. And then we were surprised to learn there is a French version, <gasps> film version, Coming Easter soon. 2023, yes. right? Yes. And it's called The Three Musketeers, D'Artagnan. And then in Christmas of 2023, it's the prequel, The Three Musketeers, Milady. <laughs> it's going to be awesome. I actually don't think it's technically the prequel. I think what's happening is they filmed this thing over like seven months. And in 2021... Man, post-production's taken a long time, yeah, right? <laughs> but I think what they've done is split the book in two parts. Because you really can read the book as like the beginning are the adventures of D'Artagnan. And then once Milady decides that she wants revenge against D'Artagnan, it really does become her schemes. That sort of back end of the book is really about Milady and her trying to kill D'Artagnan and then fucking him. sense. But it's going to be neat from the two different storylines and perspectives. Yeah. Because we know... That we can say that over time, not all of the films and adaptations. <laughs> so you want to hear the range of the ones that I've seen? Yes, and then you want to hear what the ones that okay. you've seen? <laughs> you know, my children, right? I do. All of us love Puss in Boots. Oh gosh, yes. Okay, yeah. like he is the, the fencing cat, right? <laughs> so we just love watching Puss in Boots. But Tess, when she was like five or four, we had been given some DVDs mm -hmm. from friends and there was a lot of Barbie. So if you really want to expand <laughs> your horizons, you got to watch Barbie and the Three Musketeers. It is, it is fun. It's a lot of fun. I think, oh, and then full yeah. circle, after reading this novel, I asked Tess to watch the 1948 mm -hmm. version of the Three Musketeers. With and Gene Kelly. It's Gene Kelly. And, and, Lana He's Dur and Lana Turner. And it is a hoot. We watched it and it's, like you were saying, the physical comedy, the outfits, just, it is not dark at all. I 
I mean, you know, there's fighting and this and that, and but it's not like the more modern ones that we're used to, where it's all about the adventure and the yeah. swashbuckling and that sort of like gentlemanly yeah. chivalry, right? Yeah, here. but there's so much humor in the original novel that I think. Some of these later films have forgotten that, but you've seen a couple of the ones. Oh, my God. (laughs) I remember watching The Three Musketeers from 1993. Like, I think I actually saw it in the theaters, and it was entertaining. But, man, it doesn't really hold up as it's so dated. It's just so 90s. And they completely altered the plot. Like, completely. Because Milady, she's not the villain that she is. And she actually gets a moment of redemption between her and Athos and before she jumps off a cliff. It's really quite stupid. But Oliver Platt is in it, and he plays Porthos, and he is fabulous. I love him. Oh, that sounds great. So much. And what was the other one I was telling you? And there's a black and white film, and then there's just all this stuff in between. Well, that's right, the one um, with Douglas Fairbanks. Yeah. Gosh. What else do we want to say? I actually want to say two things. I went to York, England, like, what? time ago, like around 2000, 2001. And they were putting on an adaptation of The Three Musketeers at their repertory theater. And it was amazing. It was just amazing. We were there for a week or two, and I saw it twice in that time Mm. because I just fell in love with it. It was funny. It was really well choreographed. Their fight scenes were out of this world. And the adaptation was theirs and theirs alone. So I can't even find a script for it. Okay. But they did the intrigue really well. Milady was fantastic. She was all the different people she pretends to be. Mm-hmm. And I've read another play with The Three Musketeers by Ken Ludwig, and I don't like it as much. D'Artagnan has a sister who comes along, which isn't in the novel at all, but I understand the conceit as something necessary for the stage, right? And to also maybe get some women in the play. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. But in his notes, he basically said that it's a really difficult book to adapt because A, it's huge. Yeah. It does kind of, in the middle, there's all of this other stuff going on. So it's hard to find that thread that mm-hmm. really carries it through. But it is really Milady and her schemes. Yeah. Which they did in York really, really well. Mm-hmm. They did this thing with dual roles. The guy who played Richelieu, I, I wonder if he played Buckingham too. I can't remember what he played, but he was so good. The way he moved as Richelieu, it was just like, it was practically like he floated across the <laughs> stage as like this really wildly, like, devious, but not sinister character. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important because I think Milady is sinister, but I don't think Richelieu is. Yeah. Because he came around in the end, right? Yeah, he, he, he yeah. did. There's a moment in La Rochelle where he's going to meet Milady and he encounters the three musketeers because D'Artagnan's off with the guards fighting and they accompany him. He asks them to accompany him as like protection. And they do. Well, obviously there's honor, like you were saying, the chivalry and honor and all of those things. Yeah. Yeah. So those are fun. And it's one of those things like that play in York has stuck with me for so long. I've desperately wanted to put on a production, a stage production of The Three Musketeers. We have to keep our eye out. Yeah. I think that's a really difficult thing to to try to stage. Yeah. You'd really need to have the right place and Mm -hmm. you just have to have the appropriate choreographer for the fight scenes. They did this stuff where they just all moved in slow motion. Ooh, I love that. It was so cool. (laughs) So there was a scene in a pub where they were dueling. You know, they battled with the Cardinals guards a lot. So it was all done in slow motion. 
And then there'd be that moment where, bam, and it all speed up back to normal. And it was great. It was just like one of the most sublime theater experiences I've ever had. That's what you want. And I think that we're talking about retellings, mm. film, and live action. Yeah. But I do want to mention one other thing before we wrap up, which is another reason why we chose to do The Three Musketeers. And it's related to a local author. We recently hosted Lily Lanoff, who wrote One for All at Bard's Alley. And I had met her before when the hardcover of the book came out. Mm. And this was for the paperback release. And Lily is a lovely, lovely human being, a fencer herself. And her book, One for All, I'm going to quote this, a gender-bent retelling of the Three Musketeers in which a girl with a chronic illness trains as a musketeer and uncovers secrets, sisterhood, and self-love. Yay! Yeah. And I just want to say it's a young adult novel. I absolutely loved it. The way that Lily writes about her main character, Tanya DeBots and DeBots. That was the guy. Yeah, the real life. D'Artagnan. D'Artagnan. It's wonderful. Like, the way that the heroine fights for herself, the way that the heroine approaches these women that are now going to be her kin, she gets resistance. It is, like, not simple. It's sort of like when, in the original novel, that D'Artagnan came up against each of them individually, yes. you know? <laughs> She's fighting the good fight, and it's really a wonderful telling. So I encourage you to check that book out as well. Yeah. A couple things that I wanted to talk about is the way Dumas writes this story. It is very cheeky. It's got a lot of humor in it, like we said. But one of the things I appreciated the most about it were the fight scenes, because they were very action-packed, but without the detail. Sometimes if reading, people will describe the sword fight and the motion. It's like he came out like with an overhead thrust and then went turned around, and I don't need all of the spinny details. And so he didn't really have a lot of that. It was most like they were going at it and struck a good thrust. Or there's the first fight where the four of them band together and Athos is still injured and he's like fighting two guys at once and he's like going down and D'Artagnan has bested his man and looks over and Athos gives him that look of God help me (laughs) Um, without actually saying anything like that. And so D'Artagnan comes over to help best these other two guys, but still lets Athos get the final thrust. Yeah. It's just a lot of fun. And even that scene I was talking about where the four of them are conversing on the battlement, right? Yeah. Where they're having breakfast and the Rochelet come along and they start shooting at them. And it's like, none of the balls hit, right? It's oh. just, and then there's this whole thing where they push a wall over on the guys. It's just so much fun. I watched the 1948 film. I do. I do. It is very well done. Yeah. But it is 1948, so... There's no CGI. There's The set may be a little wanting. But it is but Gene Kelly. Yes. That man can leap, yes. let me tell you. And Vincent Price, remember? Oh, oh, Vincent Price is in it, too. <laughs> With the cat. It's quite emotional, right? <laughs> <sighs> I do remember seeing um, that. Even if you just watch the trailers for some of these, yes. it's pretty spectacular. Well, you know, Dumas, he also wrote The Count of Monte Cristo. Yeah. It's 880-some pages. <laughs> it's even longer than The Three Musketeers. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So I recommend the audiobook. And you get classics like this, you can get them for free. What? Yeah, because it's in the in, public wow. domain. So it's like, it, there are many versions out there. And so you just have to find one that you like. I think this was some BBC one or something I listened to. but So much fun. Yeah. Well, but I, I know we all think one for all and all for one. And it is their motto. So they probably did say it a lot. 
But Dumas didn't use it in Except the book. Except the ones. Like, just that's the one. Oh, yeah. And there's this other line. It's just to show the humor. It was probably Athos. You're very amiable, no doubt. But you would be charming if you would only depart. <laughs> <laughs> Which is what I think we're going to do now. Yes. So thank thanks you for Lane. listening. Yeah. Thank you, Jen. Thank you for listening to us discuss The Three Musketeers. Go read it. It is so much fun. You will not be disappointed. Seriously, right. seriously. And we'd love to hear your feedback, get your take, your thoughts, any experiences that you've had. Maybe you've seen the same show Amy saw back in York in 2001. <laughs> <laughs> so we do want to hear about your thoughts about our program. And we know you are listening to this ad-free. Yes, always a plus on your preferred podcast platform. Thank you. I lost the word all of a sudden. If you want to leave your comments, you can do that and they will get to us. And we want to thank Ryan Grover. Yay, Ryan. Thank you, Ryan. You're very steadfast and patient and creative. We hope to see you all at the Alley here at Bard's Alley Bookshop 2.0 in Vienna, Virginia. So what do you say, Lane? Should we book it? Yeah, let's book it. Let's book it.